you all to say, say it with me. Jesus has something good for me today. Amen. You believe that? You believe that? He does. He always has something good for you. And we make room for him with expectation. We expect and we draw from him because he is our life. So I want to welcome everybody watching by live stream. I want to welcome everyone here. We are in uh, John chapter 12. We're making our way through the Gospels of John, or the Gospel of John, the chapters of John. And the first 11 chapters of John covered three years. And the last chapters that we're in from 12 on, it covers one week. So if you look at kind of what Jesus was, what John was focusing on, it's all right, don't worry about it. They're just partying over there. It's like, it's like, it would do me no good to try to stop the ongoing revolution of socialization going on. So it's all good. Uh, and like, you guys need to come and sit down. All right, let's just do it together. Hey, y'all. It's time to start. All right, there we go. <laughs> For those watching, you're like, what are you guys doing? We have a life group rally going on over here. So we're, we're it's P-A-R-T-Y because we gotta. That's just the way it goes. And so uh, the last week of John's last 12, last uh, portion of chapters in the book of John are related to one week of John's life. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. And that, that last week, you can tell where John's focus is on. We call it the Passion Week, right? And say, what, why does it call it the Passion Week? It's like Jesus was just passionate about going to the, to the cross. That's not what it means. The word passion comes from the word to suffer. And when, you get, when, you have, when you're passionate for something, you'll suffer for it. You'll, get, you'll do whatever it takes, right? Like an Olympian, they want to, they I don't know, they want to qualify and so they're passionate about qualifying, and they'll do whatever it takes. So the word passion is related to something that is so, worth, so valuable in your life that you'll suffer for it. And the Bible tells us what Jesus was suffering for. He was suffering for you. For the joy, come on. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You're his joy. He loves you. He saw the future. He saw the end. He saw who would come to him and who would belong to him. And the Lord said, it's worth it. It's worth it. And he came as us to die for us that we might be able to return to him and be as he is eternally. This is the gospel. And he loves you with an everlasting love. You say, I don't feel loved. It doesn't matter what you feel. Say with me, truth is greater than feeling. Truth has no feeling. Neither does faith. Truth and faith are neutral. We're fallen beings, and so we tend to live by our emotions. But as Christians, we're commanded not to live by emotion. We're commanded to live by truth. And truth, you're loved whether you feel it or not. You're loved whether you experience it or not. You are loved. The Bible actually in Ephesians commands us to experience what we've already been given. If you read Ephesians chapter 1, what, what Paul is telling the church is he's, he's praying for the church and he's saying, I pray that you would experience what you've already been given. You're already loved. That you would know the love of Christ. It's the Greek word epignosis. It means experiential knowledge. It means epic knowledge. That's when he uses the word that you would know. No, we're supposed to know the love of God. No, you're supposed to experience the love of God. Epignosis. Knowledge in an epic way. Right? Yeah, you can look at that Raptor coaster at, uh, at, uh, in Orlando. 
right? Any of y'all want, run, rode that Raptor coaster at all? No? Yeah? You, the, the one in, uh, where is it? Universal? The Raptor? You guys don't know what the Raptor You're like, oh, well, I'm spiritual, man. We don't ride roller coasters. <laughs> you can look at the Raptor, and it's kind of cool. But when you get on that Raptor roller coaster, it's a whole other level. You understand? It's different looking at it than sitting on that thing. If you've not been on that Raptor coaster, that thing is worth the price of admission all by itself. Right? Anybody rode it? Two people? Man, you gotta ride, if you guys get up to Orlando, man, you got to ride that, that Raptor coaster. Someone kept telling me about it, telling me about it. And I rode it, I rode it twice. I'm like, that's all I got. I don't have any anymore. You know? I was like Gandalf. Like I was completely white from head to toe. I was like, <laughs> you going to do it again? Yeah, okay, let's do it again. There's a difference between watching it and experiencing it. Right? God doesn't want you to observe it. He wants you to know it and to experience it, that we would know the love of God. And that we would know the height, the depth, the width, the breadth, the Bible says. The surpassing knowledge, epignosis of all that he has done for us. That we wouldn't know it, but that we would experience it. Because when you experience it, it becomes part of your life. This is what he wants for us. And so this is in John chapter 12. We're going to set it up a little bit here. I want to, to, before I get there, I want to go somewhere else. The nation had been waiting for her Messiah for centuries. Israel had been waiting for the Messiah to come. The Savior prophesied to come through the line of David. They had been waiting for the Messiah to come for centuries. Jesus, we talked about this last week, Jesus could not become king or would not allow himself to receive the title of king until a specific day. 173,880 days from the, king's, from the Persian king's decree to rebuild Jerusalem. When the king signed that decree, the prophet Daniel says it will be 173,880 days. He doesn't say it that directly, but that's what it calculates out to. And 173,880 days from the decree of Artaxerxes Longimanus, Jesus enters, the, enters, the, enters Jerusalem. And it says that prophecy relates to Messiah Negev or Messiah the king. Not just Messiah will enter Jerusalem, but the Messiah will enter Jerusalem as a king. And then it goes on to say that Messiah will be cut off. So he's, Daniel's prophesying that Jesus will enter the Jerusalem as king and he will be cut off, but not for himself. He's not going to die for himself. He's going to be cut off. He's going to die, but not for himself. And so this is prophetic. One of the biggest uh, books that, that gets textual criticism is Daniel. They can't disprove it. They want to disprove it. They say, oh, there's two Daniels. There's a Daniel that was written before, and there's a Daniel that was written after. It's not the case at all. They've discovered the book of Daniel, Dead Sea Scrolls. I think it was part of it. But anyway, they found the book of Daniel, and it is one complete book. It's not two versions of the book. And the reason that they, like, they don't like that is the skeptics don't want to say that there was a 173,880-day prophecy that fulfilled on the day. Try that out. Try that out. Crazy. So he enters the city as king, Messiah riding on a donkey, right? Boom, blowing it up. Comes humbly riding on a colt. Next time he's coming on a white horse. He's not coming on a donkey, Right? He came as a servant. That's the lowly role of the donkey. The donkey represents the king prophetic as servant because the donkey served, right? And so the, the, he comes as a king servant. When he comes again, he's coming on a charger. He's not coming on a donkey. He's coming on a war horse in a horse of victory. He's not coming as a victim or to give his life away. He's coming to rule. Palingenesia, to set all things in order. 
to bring all things into alignment. Maranatha, the ancient church would say. Say it with me, Maranatha. You know what it means? Come, Lord Jesus. That would be their greeting when they would leave. When they, would leave they would all say, Maranatha. Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, Lord. And so the nation had been waiting for her Messiah. There was a prophetic timetable that had to be met, right? And, and, and to some, Jesus came in that timeline because he is the prophesied Messiah. To some, they're like, wow, man, this dude really fits the bill. He's the guy. That's the guy, right? And then others were like, no, that's not the guy. For others, not so much. He was hated. He was judged and hated by the many. What happened was Israel had lived outside of their mandate. This nation had suffered a lot of pain for a lot of centuries. And when you get hurt, you tend to hate the people who hurt you. Can I get a witness? And so Israel had a lot of prejudice and they had had a lot of pain because of the hurt that they had experienced over the centuries. And the reason that that was is most of their pain was self-inflicted. You say, that's not fair. Well, just think about it for a minute. Just think about that boss that fired you for no reason. You gave 10 years of your life to that company, and you did everything you could for them. And they just showed you the door. They just sent you an email and said, we don't need you anymore. It was like that. And you thought, and now you, now you, yeah, amen. <laughs> now you think, of the na- you think of the name of that company, and you're like, oh, I hate those guys. I hate those guys. You know? Or better yet, let's really bring it home. How about that girl that broke her heart? broke your heart. And she used to wear Chanel number no. five. And now every time you walk through the mall and somebody hands you Chanel number no. five, you're like, oh, I hate that girl. Too close? Is that too close for everybody? Right? Or the guy, you were with this guy and you and him had this song. Oh man, that was our song. You know, I will always love you by Whitney Houston. That's you and me, you and me. And now every time you hear, I will always love you by Whitney Houston, oh, I hate that guy. we can't forgive without the holy spirit christian it's hard we're emotional beings we need the spirit of god that's another story i'll touch on that in a little bit but this world was a cruel place these israel had been in this really cruel it was a violent world life was cheap in this world this is a world that was before demonic power was broken we tend to judge the old testament with new testament eyes that world was under full bondage of the God of this world. The devil had full and complete reign. The Bible says, the Bible teaches, the power of Satan was not broken in this world until Christ rose. The serpent's head was not crushed until Christ rose. So you have a world that is dictated and dominated by demonic power, which means a lot of violence, a lot of chaos, a lot of prejudice, a lot of hate, a lot of injustice, a lot of really painful things going on in this world. The Bible says that Jesus' ministry was going to be centered in Galilee. This was the world that Jesus entered into. For centuries, the Jews had absorbed pain from their own decisions. They lived outside of their mandate. They lived outside of their mandate. And God allowed the people that they came into covenant with to dominate them, which is Romans to who you submit yourself to is the, is the slave you become. Whatever you submit yourself to, that becomes your master. And Israel had made covenants with the gods of the culture. Gods of the culture. And ultimately, they were removed from the land. 
They spent 70 years in Babylon. They came back into the land thinking that they got kicked out of the land because they didn't keep the rules. We know we didn't keep the rules. That's why we got kicked out of the land. So here we are back into the land because God told them they would come back. So there's the prophetic again. They came back into the land, and so they set up this whole system of rules. And they became massive rule keepers. That's what you see in the Gospels. Why do you wash your hands? You know, why this? Why that? It was this massive set of rules. Say it with me. They didn't get kicked out of the land because they didn't keep rules. They lost their inheritance, or they, were dis- they didn't lose it. They were displaced from their inheritance because they were disloyal, and they lowered themselves. This was the cry of the prophets all through the prophet, all through Jeremiah and Isaiah and all the prophets leading up into the exile. And even though I, the prophets post-exile, when they were still over there, the prophets would tell them, you lowered yourself. God establishes an identity. You are his sons and daughters. You are the, you are the light of the world, the hope of the nations, and you lower yourself and you become common. Therefore, you are displaced from your inheritance. You don't lose it. But you're displaced because you're over here connecting to something that is not of God's world. They worshiped the gods of the land. They lowered themselves. They became disloyal to him. It wasn't about his rules. It was about his relationship. They would not commune with the Lord. They were operating religiously. You see it in Jeremiah chapter 7. Jeremiah standing at the door of the church. All the people are coming into the door on, on Saturday, the Sabbath, Right? And Jeremiah is standing there. Can you imagine this? I can't even imagine having to do this. God said, you're going to go do this. And Jeremiah would be like, what? Are you crazy? He said, I want you to stand at the door of the temple. And I want you to declare, as the people come into the temple, I want you to declare to them, do not trust in lying vanities. Do not trust in empty worship and empty religion. Okay? And some bigger version of that. You know what they did to him? They threw him in a pit the first time. They threw the brother in a pit, outside, in a pit. And then, if that wasn't enough, he, goes, he comes back and the Lord's like, okay, now go do it again. And he had to keep doing this. And then the second time, they put him in stocks, yeah, leaving him outside in stocks. People throwing tomatoes on him, you know, all the drunks, and they had to go to the bathroom. Ha, 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 look at this, Jeremiah. Prophesy this, right? He was abused that way. And he says, I cannot preach for you anymore, Lord. I don't want to do this anymore. Jeremiah throws in his resume and he leaves and he quits. And of course, he comes back because he says, your word is like fire in my bones. I cannot contain it. I must speak. Yeah. He was given a ministry that he couldn't, that God told him, you're not going to succeed. These people are going to hate you. These people are going to despise you. They won't want you because they have already turned from me. But I need to tell them nonetheless. And he sends Jeremiah to do it. And so the people are kicked out of the land. They lose the land. They leave. They thought that empty religion, so they would come and they would do their empty religion. And then immediately they would go back and do and worship and follow the patterns and the ways of a culture. It's not an external lifestyle. It's a thinking, Christian. It's a mindset. We don't bow down to Dagon. We don't bow down to Molech or Ishtar. Well, some would say we do, but if you look at the manner in which they were worshipped. But what we do bow down to is mindsets. And as we bow down to mindsets, we lower ourselves. The Bible says the, this world, so the word world, we teach it here a lot, so I want you guys to get it, is the world is a cosmos. It means system of thinking. So you have a world, cosmos, system of thinking. A religious culture within the church, which I would call church culture or church cosmos. 
And then we have a kingdom system of thinking, which is kingdom culture. And you know what you get to do? If you're a believer, you get to choose which one you want to be a part of. You can be a part of the world culture. You can be a Christian. The Bible calls them carnal Christians. Christians who, who love Jesus but just live their entire life according to what their selfish desires. Carnal. <laughs> Bound unto Jesus, but think, act, talk like the world. And we see that big time. Then we have religious Christians, right? They love Jesus, but they're locked into the system and the, you know, all of the doctrines and the, the, you know, the methods of denominations. And you say this with me. Not everything in the church, not everything in the church culture is kingdom culture. Do you understand that? We preach this thing as if like everything in the church is what God wants. Well, who told you that? Right? We have church culture, then we have kingdom culture, which is on earth as it is in heaven, and they are absolutely, you couldn't be more opposite if you understand what's going on between these cultures. We're kingdom culture here at Elevate. That's what we do. You know, we want our Father's world. We don't want this world. We certainly don't want mad-made religion. That's not what we're looking to do either. God's kingdom is love. God's kingdom is acceptance. Are there boundaries? Are there standards? Absolutely, there's boundaries and standards. But they're, they're given that we pursue him with love. That's another story for another day. They lost their home. They lost, they couldn't access their inheritance because they lowered themselves. And God would say things, and I use this verse a lot, is Israel a home-born slave? Why are you slaves? You are bound. Look what Jesus, Lord, help, Lord, with the boy with the, um, the boy with the, 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 slep, uh, the, what is it, epileptic son that kept falling down into the fire. He comes down from the mountain. Jesus is just coming down from the mountain where he has popped the glory, man. Woof. You know, lights out. Jesus is, the, Jesus is lights out, just blowing his glory out. And then Peter's like, wow, this is crazy. Let's stay here. Jesus is like, no, dude, I want you to take this down there. So they come down from the mountain, and they come down from the mountain, and there's a theological debate going on between the disciples and the Pharisees. And they're arguing over a boy who has epileptic seizures. A spirit seizes him, and this father says, throws him into the fire, and there's a spirit that's manifesting with this kid that keeps trying to kill him. Right? We know the story. Disciples don't know what to do. Pharisees don't know what to do. They come to Jesus. The father says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Long story there. Won't get into it. And what does Jesus say? Wicked and perverse generation, how long must I deep be with you? He rebuked the whole culture. It wasn't the dad. He didn't go, have more faith, bro. The whole culture was of a mindset of lowering. It's your children that are bound. Seriously? It's you that don't understand what to do. Sons and daughters of the highest, and you don't understand this. John 3 he rebukes the teachers. Are you teaching my people and you don't understand this? You get that? <laughs> How low we are as a people. We are sons and daughters of a prince. We are sons and daughters of a king in Christ. Royalty is in us. You say, I don't see it. Yeah, well, why don't you start living towards your identity? Stop binding yourself to the gods and the mindsets and the foolishness of a culture that you're not a part of. Living like they do, thinking like they do. Oh, the stock market's going down. 
I hear it's a good time to buy crypto. I hear it's a good time to sell crypto. We get this, we get this, this, this thing going on and we rationalize everything. We work with human understanding. We're sons and daughters. We give access to a divine understanding, a higher understanding. Have you ever accessed that? Oh, that's too much work, Pastor. I prefer to make my decisions in the moment. Well, that's your problem. That's your problem. Your world's a mess because you do it your way. You do it your way. Another story, another day. We have access to higher things. We're not common. Why would you want, I say this a lot. Say, I want you to ask yourself. I want you to say, self, I need to know why you accept average when you've been called to exceptional. No, seriously, soul. Say, come on, tell yourself. Seriously, soul. I need to know and I need to understand if Jesus has called you to the height of exceptional, why do you keep continually settling, come on, for average? That needs that question we all need to ask. Why do I call for average when Jesus has called me to be exceptional? Why do I, why do I settle for the level of a slave when God's called me to be a ruler? The head above only and not beneath. Why do I settle? Why do I settle for the mindset of the culture and accept what they get? We accept what they get. We are exceptional. We don't get what they get. Hmm? We don't. The bread is for the children. The inheritance is for the children. The, gods, the, ch the culture can have all the gods at once, you know, because you have the only God that matters. The only God that matters is Jesus. The mindsets of the world, they, they can have all the mindsets they want. And if you want a philosophy on how to live your life, look no further. You got, everybody's got an opinion. Look at some of the YouTube ads, you know. I mean... There's philosophies all over the place. Everybody's going to tell you how to make a million dollars. I'm going to tell you how to make a million dollars, Christian. Send me $5,000, and I'm going to give you my course on how to make a million dollars. And you know what he's going to say? Get enough people to give you $5,000 to further course, and you'll make a million dollars. It's all nonsense. There's all kinds of philosophies out there that will teach you the way to live your life, but you don't want that. You want kingdom. And we've been given the Holy Spirit. That's another story. Galilee of the Gentiles. So Jesus is, comes into the world. He's, his ministry settled. So this world was a world of pain. It's a world of hurt. It's a world of hurt. Say it with me. Broken world. Bad devil. But amazing Jesus. Hmm? I, I choose amazing Jesus. You should choose amazing Jesus. Yep, the world's broken. Yep, the devil's bad. But Jesus is good. And Jesus is amazing. And he's the only one that matters. Jesus was serving in Galilee, which is the north of Israel, up by a lake. And above that, above Galilee, where Jesus' ministry was, was the city of Caesarea Philippi. When Christ was born, talks about this world of pain. Galilee of the Gentiles, people who sit in darkness have seen a great light. Those who are within the region of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. So when Jesus was born and he did his ministry, the seat of the Roman government was in Caesarea Philippi. Right? The pontiff. You had Pontius Pilate, he was a Roman pontiff, but you had the, the seat of the central government of Rome in that region was in Caesarea Philippi, in the region of Galilee. The Romans didn't throw you in jail. They killed you. This was a violent world. There was no legal system that protected you if you were not a Roman citizen. If you did wrong, they seize you, they take you away, you're never seen from again. What happened? I don't know, they just showed up and took him. Romans would roll into non-Roman non families, seize the children, and draft them into the army. 
And if they objected, well, then they'd throw the mom and dad into slavery and take the kids anyway. Do you want a world like that? That was this world, a world of the shadow of death. These people lived under a rule of an iron fist. It was absolute tyranny. And Jesus comes into that world. He comes born into that world. And what is, his first, what is the first thing he says right after this? Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is like, he comes into that world, this world of brokenness and pain and absolute injustice. And he says, repent. Well, what's the word repent mean? You guys want to come on, help me. Say teshuva. Right? You're going to speak some, that's Hebrew. Now you're going to speak some Greek, some more Greek, right? Say metanoia. Teshuva means return to me. This world is a world of pain. This world is a world of hurt. You need to come out of that world and return to me. You need to come out of that darkness and come to me. Teshuva is the word repentance. This is how we come to Christ. We repent. We repent. We leave behind all that was and come unto him. We leave behind a world of hurt and pain and we come unto him. And metanoia means to, to see things differently. If you want a literal translation, they would say, oh, it means to change your mind. No, it means to see things differently. What is he saying? Come out of that kingdom. Return to me and live by a different standard. Live by a different mindset. Live by a kingdom mindset and not a cultural mindset. You got it? That's what he's saying. And what had happened here, so Christ comes into this world, a lot of pain, and it was tremendous prejudice. Say it with me. Prejudice is a spirit. Doesn't matter who's in power. Come on. It doesn't matter who's in power. Man will always be prejudiced because we're egotistical, narcissistic, self-seeking. It's just what we are. Yeah? We're ambitious. You know, we just, you know, like ambitious towards self. Nothing wrong with ambition, but ambition is not towards self. Ambition must be for a greater purpose. That's godly ambition. Ambition is not to be condemned. There has to be an ambition that relates to God's purposes. That's godly ambition. Another story. I have more to say on that, but I'm not going to say it because I'm going to keep going. <laughs> so it was tremendous prejudice. Israel had turned hatred into a theology. So when Jesus comes, all of the nations had prejudice against one another because they all had wounds and scores. So let me help the married people out. It, yeah, come on. Let's deal with this. Let's just go there. If you've been married more than 10 years, you need to heal the hurt. There has to be a reconciliation of wrongs or the marriage will continue to accumulate them. And as the marriage accumulates them and time goes on, the weight of the offenses and hurts will crack the foundation of the relationship. You have to heal the brokenness between the two of you if you've been married. How do you know this? I've been married 32 years. You know how many times I had to do that? You know how many times I had to say, I'm I am sorry. I am an idiot. I have been insensitive and have not understood you. I have been demanding. And she's had to say the same thing to me. I've hurt you. I've been disrespectful. I've been, un I've been too demanding to you. I've expected things of you. I thought that the world was about me when I realized it's about us. I thought it was all about my feelings when I realized that you have feelings. Okay, here, here, here's one for you, ladies. Your husband has feelings too. Yes, thank you. High five. All the brothers in the room, give me a high five. Come on. Right? 
You have feelings, and a lot of times the woman thinks it's all about my feelings, it's my feelings, it's my feelings, it's my feelings. The brother has feelings too. You know what I mean? Have you ever thought to ask? He's hurt my feelings. Have you ever hurt his feelings? Just saying. Look, guys, we're real, we're like, we're like gorillas. We crash everything, man. We're like bulls in a china shop. We are insensitive. We think we're sensitive, and we're not. You know what I'm saying? Look at the way guys talk to one another. You ever see how rough guys talk to one another? We're rough. You can't talk like that to a woman. Well, she needs to get over it. Well, she's not going to. She's not like you. She just isn't. She's sensitive. She's delicate. Yeah, you're calling women delicate? Women are delicate. I don't care how macho you think you are. Like, like we, there's big movement now, right? Snow White doesn't need a prince. That's the big new Snow White movie. Getting rid of princes. I'm like, oh, yeah, we're going to get rid of princes in Snow White. That's a defiance of a woman's very nature. Every woman wants a prince, whether she admits it or not. Every woman sings the song, someday my prince will come. Yeah? I'm wishing, I'm wishing for true love to come, right? So we try to create this culture that denies the very nature of what a woman is. She needs love. She needs tenderness. She needs kindness. You say she's a bag of cats. I'm like, yeah, she's a bag of cats, and so are you. We're all carrying around a bag of cats, man. This is true. I know this from experience, people, okay, from experience. Have you and Cher ever talked about divorce? We've talked about murder more than we've ever talked about divorce. We've had fantasies about murder. And we repent for that right now in the name of Jesus. You have to heal the hurts. You have to heal the hurts. If you don't heal the hurts, say it with me. Marriages will fail if one or both parties refuse to change. It, just start the clock. You think you're Mr., you know, I'm going to put it all out there. I'm that guy. You think she just needs to submit. Yeah, work on that one, man. Yeah, I don't know anybody that talks with their wife. She's a submit. And that marriage lasts 10 years. No way. Yeah, as soon as, the, soon as that wife smells any kind of freedom and she matures enough emotionally to say, I need more self-respect in this, I'm not being in this relationship like this. I'm a person too, right? And the same thing goes for guys. They're not going to tolerate disrespect. Yeah. I, I could use a little bit bigger on my backside, and so, you know, my wife's chewed it off so much that I don't have enough back there anymore. I'm like, stop chewing my rear end, Sherry. I don't have a lot to give. Come on, woman. She's like, but it's cute, though. I'm like, okay, yeah, it's cute. That's great. You have to be kind, loving, change, listen, commune, be together. You're not enemies, you're your partners. And if, the, if one or both partners will not unite and both, one or both partners will not, be, will not understand the other's position and be willing to come and, and meet in the middle, it is doomed to fail. It is doomed to fail. It doesn't matter what it is. It's just the way it is. We have, to, we have to heal the hurts. Israel had turned hate into a theology, right? It had become part of their very existence. You see it all through the Old Testament. Jonah wouldn't go to Nineveh because he was prejudiced against the Phoenicians. He's not going there. Oh, no way. He had a word from the Lord, man. A word from the Lord. And he's like, I'm not going. Not going. Because he was prejudiced against the Phoenicians. You see Elijah, right? Naaman comes to the door. 
little prophetess girl in, in, in Syria says, hey, if you, there's a prophet in Israel. If you go to him, the Lord might, might heal you through this prophet. She, he goes to, he goes to uh, Israel, Syrian general, knocks on the door. Elijah doesn't even get out of the chair. Doesn't even pay the brother the dignity of walking to the door. He sends his servant. And he says, if he wants healing, the only reason I'm saying this is because Jesus is telling me to say it right now. Because I really don't want to say it. Go dunk yourself in the river. Seven times. And if you drown, I'm cool with that. But I don't know, you know. But go dump yourself in the river. He wouldn't even go to the door. Peter had to have a divine encounter. Peter had to have a living vision to change his thinking and his theology. Specifically his prejudice theology. And how he was prejudiced against Gentiles. You understand? He had to see a sheep come down. And, then he, and if you listen to his testimony, he says, the Lord has shown me. <laughs> Three years with Jesus didn't get it done, right? He had to have another revelation. The Lord has shown me that he wants to reach all people. <laughs> he went to three years of school with Jesus, and it still didn't get through his thick skull. He had to have another divine encounter to get him to understand it. He still played the hypocrite. We see that also in the letters where Peter is like the religious people come to town. Paul said, I withstood Peter to his face. Why? Because Peter played the hypocrite. So he'd be hanging out with all y'all, right? Hanging out with us, right? Us lowly, grubby, dirty Gentiles, right? Us outsiders. And then the religiously correct would come to town, and Peter would be running over there and hanging out with them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're like, aren't those your friends? No, I don't know. Those aren't my friends, man. I don't know who they are. Who are those people? He denied he even knew the people that he was hanging out with. Peter, you came to my house last night for dinner. I'm sorry, dude. I think you got me confused with someone else. No, no, no. It was you. It was you. You know, you got, a, you got a tattoo right back here on your calf. I, I, I saw it when you were sitting on the table. Oh, no, 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 man. I'm telling you, you, got, you that, that, that was me. It wasn't me. It was somebody else. Somebody else. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Everybody is less than. And the Israelites had taken it. If you weren't from Jerusalem, even if you were a Jew, they were prejudiced against you. Oh, you're a Galilean. You talk with that hick. Hebrew accent. You're a Galilean. Oh, you're a Jew from the dispersion. They look down on that too. You're the one who lives in the Greek world. You live over there in the Greek section of the world. We are the elite Jerusalem Jews. And if you didn't match the standard, well, we just saw it. They moved them to the house of the broken or the house of the outcast. If you didn't meet their standard, they're prejudiced against everything. Ethnic, social, financial, regional, gender. Women, forget it. Forget it, man. Forget it. When Paul was in the Israeli world, there were no women. The women were always in destitute in a state of need because they had created a system of oppression. When he went to the Gentile world and he went to Greece, these women were loaded. They had businesses. They had houses. They had everything. Why is that? Because the religious system denied them very rights as a human being, denied them the innate creation within them to be a leader, to be a business person. You see, the church even has this. She's got to be Sally Homemaker. If you want to be Sally Homemaker, be Sally Homemaker. Bless God, there's no shame in that. There's no shame in wanting to be home and raise your children. But if you got the business acumen in you, right, or you got the leadership acumen in you, the church is probably one of the worst places that oppresses women. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Right? We have this, we have this broken mentality that is not in the Gospels. Paul had that misogynistic view, and then he goes over and then he starts meeting Lydia. Lydia's wealthy woman who, who, who traded in purple garments 
She traded in purple garments and she was loaded. Loaded. And she saw Paul and she funded his ministry and she created a series of prayer houses. Prayer houses, right? Series of them. That's why you see Paul moving when he's, when he's I think it's Philippi. Yeah, it is Philippi. When he's moving through Philippi, it says he's going from one place of prayer to another. He's going from one of Lydia's prayer houses to the next prayer house. Where are we going now? Well, we're going to grab some lunch, Paul, and then we got a 4 o'clock over here, and then we're going to go over here at 7, and then by 9 o'clock, we're going to go to the other prayer house. I mean, she had him working like a circuit, man. Woman, propagator, funders of the gospel. The majority of Christian ministry in the New Testament world was funded by entrepreneurial women. That is an absolute undeniable fact. The women gave more to support the gospel than the dudes ever did. Ever. Yeah? And it was all in the Gentile world. Some of them were Jews in the Gentile world because they couldn't make a dime if they were in the Jewish world. They wouldn't be allowed. That's why Lydia was of the dispersion because the Jewish culture forbid it. Jesus never made those rules. Your rule's not mine. Who told you that? Who told you that? You see that all the time through the Scripture. They had made, it, they had made, uh, they had made prejudice and restriction a science. They're prejudiced against everything. They began to hate the people they were called to reach. This is what happens. We get hurt and we hate the people we're called to reach. So true. What if the darkness in them was trying to offend the light that was in you so that you would move out of their life? What if the people that you hate the most are the people that you're trying to reach? Just that God has called you to reach. What, what, would, that, what would that look like? I told the story in first service. I told it before. When there, anybody used to know Blockbuster Video? Remember that? Blockbuster Video. <laughs> When the Blockbuster video used to go by my house, had some friends over, so me and my friend, we go to the Blockbuster to get movies, you know, all the, everybody else is hanging out at the house. Go there, and there's this dude there, man. His name's Jared, I think his name was. And there's like three, three clerks, and I always got this guy, Jared. And this dude was an idiot, man. I mean, he was so rude and obnoxious. And I seem to get that guy every time, and I'm standing in line going, oh, Jesus, please, in the name of Jesus. Don't give me this guy. Don't give me this guy. And I'm explaining to my friend that this guy, who this guy is. And so he's like looking at me. And we get up there. And we, we, I, lo and behold, I get Jared. And he's an absolute idiot to, to, to me and my friend. And so my friend, demonstrating a higher level of spirituality than I possessed in that moment, he lays his hands on the counter. And he looks at him. And he goes, why are you so angry, Jared? And the guy, his head went back. And then the guy goes, oh, oh. There's so much hatred in this world, and there's so much whatever. And so we were able to minister to that guy, and it dawned on me that the darkness in this guy is trying. I'm probably the only light this guy's ever going to encounter. And so this guy is intentionally offending me or getting under my skin spiritually in order to keep me at a distance from him. Now, did he receive Jesus? No, of course he, I didn't. He didn't receive Jesus there. But we talked to him about the Lord. We talked to him about peace and all these other things, but I would have never had that open door if I wasn't able to get past the offense and the hatred that I felt towards this guy, right? Just a thought. Offense means to push back. The only power that breaks man's hate is the new heart and the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't have the power to forgive, Christian. You can forgive. What God expects from you is a conscious forgiveness. It's a conscious forgiveness. But when we, when we walk in our life, in our flesh, we don't have the power within ourselves to walk in forgiveness. Same thing. Chanel number five, right? Uh, you know, Whitney Houston. That stuff is just there. Say it with me. There's no holiness without the Holy Spirit. 
you're broken. You carry a lot of pain, a lot of regret, and a lot of anger. God has given you a workaround and an ability to transcend your hurt, your pain, and your anger, and he's called the Holy Spirit. Until the time that you can get healed of that or even bring, come to the place where you want to get healed or restored of that, in, in the meantime, you don't have to live in your hurt and anger when you can live within the Spirit. And when you enter into the Spirit, you transcend, you rise above. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? You hate everybody, and all of a sudden you get in the Spirit, and they're like, hey, man, isn't that the guy that burned down your house? And you're like, yeah, man, it's all good. It's all good. You're in the Spirit, right? Know what I'm talking about? No? Two of you? In the Holy Spirit transcendent ability to love at a level that you can't love, to forgive at a level that you can't forgive. It's the transcendent power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I know this, in my flesh there is nothing good. I want to do what's right, but I don't know how to do it, and I don't find the ability within me. Chapter 7 of the book of Romans, Paul was a legalist. Paul was someone whose whole life was... was uh, evaluated based upon his performance. You want to talk about performance-driven? This brother was performance-driven. He had to check the boxes and do everything right. And chapter 7 is all about his inability to perform and him looking at himself and saying, I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't know whatever thought made me think that I could do this. And then chapter 8 kicks in. There is no condemnation. He says, who will deliver me from this body of death? In other words, you don't have it in you, but the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is the key to this. He's, he's, he's beyond the key. I don't even have a word. But he is the essence of this kingdom. And so Paul, when he was in, in his flesh, he could see that he had nothing good in me. I can't do this. I can't forgive. Anybody feel like they can't forgive? Oh, come on. If you feel like you can't forgive, it's because you haven't been hurt deep enough. All these people walk around waxing like, oh, I can forgive. I can forgive. You just need to forgive. I mean, I want to take that Christian and go, you know, and they tell me, you just got to forgive. You just got to let it go, Kevin. You just got to let it go. You just got to let it go. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for that articulate Bible study. As if I didn't know that. <laughs> You're loud, Pastor. Yes, that's true. As if I didn't know that I need to forgive. God expects conscious forgiveness. The inner experience comes through when I get in the whole. It either comes through when I heal the trauma of the wound and then it goes. That's a different story. Or that, then I, that's another story. I'm not going to get into that. Or it comes when I'm operating in the spirit. When I'm in the spirit, I can forgive. That's why you can forgive. You get out of the spirit and you're like, what? You know, you go right back to the person. And Christians think they're two different people. And the devil uses that as a weapon against you. Mm. He uses it. If you were a Christian, you could forgive. Look at you. Look at the hate in your heart. God doesn't love you. You can't do enough. You look at, he just keeps rattling something off like that. When the truth is, this is your carnality, and this is your spirituality. This is who you, who you really are is in the spirit. That loving, amazing person that feels like a genius, right? You're in the spirit. You can counsel people, and you're like, I am amazing. Given prophetic word, wow, I'm amazing. You can love at a transcendent level. You have all these genius ideas. Then you get out of the spirit, and you're like, what, did I, what was I thinking there? What was that? You know, so a lot, I carry pen and paper. A lot of times when I'm communing with the Lord, I have to write it down. Do you know why? Because when I get out of the spirit, which I inevitably will, huh? I, I can't remember what it was he told me. Anybody with me? Yeah, you got me? So you got to write that stuff down. So we should be in the spirit all the time. That's impossible. 
And the reason that it's impossible is your body in its current state does not have the capacity to walk in the spirit all the time. You just don't. You ever, anybody who's ministered in the spirit and has done things and even worship, like you, you, the next day you're like exhausted. And you're exhausted, not like in a bad way. You're exhausted. Everything's clear and you're like radiant. You're like, wow, that was amazing. But I am so tired. Because your body doesn't have the capacity. You have to increase the capacity. You, have to, you can increase the capacity of what you carry. Some of you got to get rid of some boxes. You got to get the junk out of you and all the crap to get stored away. That's why there's no more room. You got to clear everything out and you have to practice the presence. You practice the presence. Say with me, practice the presence you get in the spirit. I shared this for a service. I do this every single morning, some version of what I'm about to say. So like this morning, I'm running around trying to get here, can't find my socks. You ever wonder that? Why can't I find my socks? One sock. I'll buy two 12-packs of the same sock, and I can only find one sock. I'm like, who is eating my socks, man? You know? <laughs> so I'm running around trying to find my socks, and as I'm trying to scrambling and getting myself together, I hear the Holy Spirit say to me, you haven't said good morning to me today, Kevin. Because every single morning when I get up, I walk outside, and you guys can say it with me. Just lift your hands. Come on, say it with me. You be chicken. Just say, good morning, Father. Good morning, Lord. My King, my Lord, my Sovereign. Good morning, Holy Spirit. My friend, my empowerer, my peace, my joy. Every morning, I say some version of that. Every single morning, I say that. And if you don't think Jesus is looking for it, while I'm looking for my socks, Jesus is looking for me. Why? Because it's communion, people. It's all about the communal relationship. Everything flows from that center. His wisdom, his power, his provision, everything flows from the communion. And if you will not draw near to him, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. Well, I'm waiting for God to draw near to me. You got it all wrong. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. And what happens when you start that communal experience, some of you that pray or like to pray, you're going to immediately feel the river kick in and you're going to start praying. Because that's what happens. His presence comes. And then he'll just, like, you can share your heart with him. Lord, I'm afraid. I need wisdom. I need purpose. Lord, what is my major malfunction? Why do I keep glitching? Some of you don't have the guts to ask that question. But if you should, he will tell you. He will tell you not to hurt you. He will tell you to help you. You're arrogant and narcissistic. What? What? How dare you tell me, me that? Do you know who I am? My point exactly, Kevin. You're arrogant and narcissistic. <laughs> You're self-reliant. You rely upon yourself all the time. You won't listen to me. Can we make this quick, Lord? I got to go watch MSNBC for the new stock update. My point exactly. You are self-reliant. You look to the counsel of others and not me. You will not wait and sit with me and commune with me and relate to me. You want answers. I want relationship. You want change. I want relationship. Change is easy. Provision is easy. Every th that stuff is so easy to Jesus. But it comes through the communion. 
It comes through the relationship. And if you cannot learn to do that, you will find yourself forever outside looking in. You will be average when you're called to be exceptional. See previous conversation. You will always find yourself outside looking in. Some of you, if you just did that little good morning, Father, every day, you will ask, your life will change in the most dramatic ways. I dared for a service. Let's see if anybody here. Do it every single morning. Put a little memo on your phone. Say good morning to my heavenly Father. When the alarm goes off, doot, right after that, 705, say good morning to my heavenly Father. Acknowledge the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then let him teach you. Let him draw. You'll feel things drawn out of you. Lord, teach me to know you. Lord, teach me to understand you. Why do I feel tense when I talk to you, Lord? You know? You can trust him. Just say this. I may not be able to trust other people, but I can trust the Holy Spirit. I may not be able to trust my circumstances, but I can trust the Holy Spirit. I may not be able to trust myself, but I can trust the Holy Spirit. You can't trust you. The heart is deceitfully wicked, but above all things, who can know it? Your heart deceives you. Right? I don't know what I'm doing, but he does. That's my, part of my mantra. So Galatians says, this is Paul later in his life. So Paul begins this journey by saying in me there is no good thing. And then he says, I say to you, walk in the spirit, and you will not fulfill the selfishness of the flesh, the selfish desires. You don't want to be an angry person, get in the spirit. You want to be a wise person, a transcendent, someone who's able to see what others cannot see, get in the spirit. Get in the spirit. God will show you. He will teach you. Teach me your ways, Lord. He will do it. This is what we are. This is who we are. Another story. We have overcoming power. We have transcendent power to transcend. Who wants to rise above? Do you? I do, right? That's what happens when you're in the spirit. You rise above. You rise above. You're above. All of a sudden, all this pain and all this stress, and you're above it. And you're like, man, I don't know how this is going to work out, but it's going to work out. Right? Transcending power of the Lord. Rising above. I don't know how this is going to go, but Lord, he's going he's to give me the words. I don't know what's going to happen. He's going to show me. Our enemy is self-reliance. Your enemy is self-reliance. And you say, I don't know how to hear to God. I don't know how to trust God. You've got to develop that. Train yourself in godliness. That's not talking about a moral thing. I train myself in godliness. I got to train myself. Stop sleeping with my boyfriend. Well, yeah, that would be great. Stop sleeping with your boyfriend. That is called fornication. Got to train myself. Got to train myself. Got to stop going to the clubs. Right? That would be great, too. That, that again, you're in, you're in, you're in immoral. You're, if you're acting immoral, you're out of line. But it's not, it's not about that. Training yourself in godliness is training yourself to commune with the Lord. Training yourself to think as he thinks, to know as he knows, to experience that which he has given for you. That is a training. You know what the word is? It's called gymnasu. It's a Greek word. What, what, what sounds like gymnasu? Anybody? Gymnasium, right? Gym. It's where we get the word gym. It's where you go to train. He says, gymnasu yourself in godliness. Train. Do some CrossFit with Jesus. Get your soul ready. Change your life. Stop thinking like a, like a lowly person. Do what you got to do. Train yourself. Some of y'all, you beat yourself to death doing CrossFit. I'm like watching people, you know. I haven't worked out in a long time, but, you know, I watch these CrossFit dudes, and I'm like, why? Like, seriously, why? You know, why? 
I'm all into exercise and fitness and all that. I'm not against that. But I watch these Spartan races, and that's another thing. People are like, oh, I want to do this. And I'm looking at that. These guys crawling into mud and carrying 300-pound bags of sand. And I'm thinking, why? What do you have to prove? <laughs> Too close? I was like, I own a CrossFit gym, dude. Doosh. Anyway, another story. God bless the CrossFitters. God bless you. Spartan race, get in there and get it done. Do it for Jesus. Come on. Physical exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. We have to train ourselves in godliness. So what's happening here is the Greeks are coming to Jesus. Now, this is the little portion of the message that I have, and I'm going to teach you a little bit here, and we're going to close. I haven't even taught the, I haven't even taught the verse yet. I was trying to get you to understand spiritual power. How do we overcome? How do we overcome uh, prejudice and hatred and all of the just stupid things in our lives that rule us and dominate us? How do we do that with the Spirit? And these people were hateful. They hated Jesus. They hated him. They couldn't stand him. They wanted to kill him. Why? Because the whole world was coming to him. He was a threat to their system and to their way of life. And so they wanted to kill him. So now there were certain Greeks who came to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from, who was from Galilee, and they said, Let us, lead us to Jesus. Philip goes to Andrew. Andrew goes and tells Jesus. And Jesus makes this statement. He says, unless the seed falls to the ground and dies, the hours come that the sun may be glorified, but most surely I say to you, unless the seed falls to the ground and dies, it will remain as it is. But if it dies, it will produce uh, much grain, much fruit. He who loves me will lose his life. He who loves his life in this world, he who hates his life in this world will, will, give it, will be given unto eternal life. If anyone desires to serve me, let him follow me. And, there, and those who follow me, those who were, oh my gosh, read this right, Kevin. If anyone serves me, I have all these notices coming up on my phone, on my, on my, on my tablet, so it's like all these pop-ups. Too, too much information? TMI, Kevin. If anyone serves me, let them follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And if anyone serves me, my father will honor. Greeks are coming to him. They want to see a king. Why do they want to see the king? Because the king just rolled into Jerusalem, just rolled into J-town. Right? King just rolled into J-Town. Everybody's singing. Everybody's dancing. Jesus is like bringing it on. They had heard about this. And now these Greeks want to see Jesus. And Jesus tells them the king that they need to see is not here. The king that they need to see is the one that dies and rises again. This is the king they need to see. So they don't need to come and see me. They need to watch me die and rise. That's the king they need to see. That's where my glory is. My glory is not here. My glory is there. Yeah, come on. You guys are some spiritually in tune Christians. You are. You get it. <laughs> and they come to him. And so they come to Jesus and they tell him that. They want to see a king in glory, but the glory that he said, they can't see that glory. But if I die, I will produce life. I come to give my life away. I'm not, I didn't come to receive worship as king. I came to give my life away. The truth of my kingdom is not in who I am sitting here. The truth in my kingdom is who I am when I give my life away. And I will be resurrected and I'll be seated in eternal glory. That is the king they need to see. And then he, then he gives this twofold profound invitation. This is crazy. This is, these, this, this, Jesus gives this cryptic answer. They go, hey, we want to see Jesus. And then Jesus says, unless a grain falls to the ground and dies, you know, you're like, What? Why isn't that a simple yes or no? Because he's prophesying. He's telling them that there's something greater that they need to see beyond this. Beyond this. There's a greater life beyond this, Christian. There's a greater world beyond this one. And then he says this. And he tells them, 
not only am I king, but I'm inviting you to be into my kingdom, right? We all want to be associated with greatness. They played wiffle ball, I guess, on Saturday, and so they were all, yeah, yeah, who, yeah, who was on Dave's team? Right, there's Dave right there, yeah. Dave wants everyone to know that his team won, so he just wanted me to make sure. He wants you to make, understand. And what was the name of your team, Dave? I think I forgot. What did you name your team? Oh, the winners. Yeah, so he wants you to know that his team, the winners, beat the other team called the losers, I guess. He's rebranded them, the cheaters, so he, he wants everyone to know that. We all want to be associated with greatness. Everybody wanted to come and be associated with Jesus. And Jesus is like, look, the greatness that you want to be associated with is not here, but I invite you to come and be a part of it. He said, if you want to be a part of my kingdom and my greatness, you must despise this world and embrace my world. Now, what is he saying? We hate the world. I hate cars. I hate trucks. I hate gasoline. I hate banks. I hate trees. Is that what he's saying? You must hate the system of this world. That's, not, that's, that's pretty easy to do, right? A system of injustice is pretty easy to not want to be a part of it. We have a system of injustice in our country. It's, it's, it's beyond the pale, I told First Service, one of the, one of the big echoes of, of the downward spiral, one of the things that was indicative that Israel was on its way down was when the corruption came to the courts. When the corruption entered the courts and it became public injustice within the courts, that was an indicative sign, that was a clear sign that, this, this, that their society was in decay. Because God had seated those men and women to hold a position that held the fiber of society together. And when injustice is doled out, when justice is expected, it causes massive distrust. When we have two-layered justice system and there's no and everything is an arbitrary decision according to the law, well, I like you, so you can go, but you I don't like, you can go here. And that's the way our justice system is. We're not all equal under the law. Doesn't matter what mirror they tell you. And America has been down on this, tr- this thing for a while. You need to pray for your country. You need to pray for your country. Specifically, the hierarchical positions of these judges. They sit as gods. That's what the Bible says, that they sit as gods. Judges sit as gods. They have a decree. And what they say is, raw, is law. <laughs> you see it. It's, there's a lot of injustice. Our society, it doesn't matter how glossy we are on the outside, it is indicative of a, fallen, of, a, of a culture that is spiraling in the wrong direction. When injustice becomes public in the streets, it's bad. And we need to pray. America needs the gospel. The kingdom needs to be preached. The church needs to rise and demand things. We want to be everybody's friend. Jesus said that you're not going to be everybody's friend. If you actually operate, I'm not saying we run out there and offend people, but if we actually operate by what we are, Jesus said they'll hate you. They'll hate you for the things that you say because they'll say this is right and you'll say that's wrong and they'll despise you. That's why. It's not condemning people. We speak against the system. Not, not we speak for the Lord and that when we speak for him, when we say this is right and they say, no, you're wrong, they will hate you. If the salt loses its savor, it's good for nothing. Yeah? We have to be a part. We have, I, you say, what does that look like? I have no idea. I understand the concept, but I haven't figured out how to do this in, practical, in practice. <laughs> I understand the concept of what God is wanting, but I don't really see a model on how to do this effectively. 
I don't know. I just understand that it needs to happen. So we need to pray into that, that God would use his church and his people for what they are, would change the mentality of the church, and would use the church to actually affect change in a manner that is pleasing to him. That should be our prayer. Say, that, that's it. So we don't know what we're doing, Lord, but you need to show us the way. Another story, another day. He, he asked them to come. He said, come and be a part of my world. Leave your world and be a part of mine. You can be a believer. So in this kingdom, this realm, this eternal realm that God is bringing and that we are a part of, there are, all can enter the kingdom through faith and believe, but not all have equal honor. He says it right here. Those who believe, come and, fo- come and believe. Those who serve me, come and follow me. And if you follow me, my Father will honor you. So there's a bestowment of honor. There's a position, there's honor that is given to those who will follow. Believers, here's what believers do. I said it last week. Believers believe and give their lives to Jesus, but they do nothing more. That's a believer. They don't do anything more. They won't serve, they won't give, they show up when they want to. You know, it's like just what, they make it up as they go along. They're believers, they're in the kingdom, but they're not really followers. They won't, they, won't do, they won't participate in the things that God asks them to do. There's a standard, there's an entry point, and then there's greater things. So when you come to Christ, you're getting the 999 plan, right? You get the basic plan. But when you start serving him, you get unlimited data. You get me? So you come to Jesus, you got the little 999 plan. You got the cricket cell phone. That's what you get. No cricket. No offense to cricket. Thank God for cricket. <laughs> But then if you, come, if you begin to integrate yourself, your life in him and you begin to serve him and follow him, you're upgraded. The kingdom begins to move in your life. That's actually part of the deal. And he says to them, those who, follow, who serve me, follow me. And those who follow me, my father will honor. Some of you graduated college and high school, you right? You with me, right? Some of you maybe are still in that process. If you ever had it like when everybody's graduating, they get the little sash. You know, you got that, you got that crew that gets the sash. They get the little extra, like, sort of, um, I don't know, like, curtain pole-looking things that they put around their neck. I know there's names for all this. What, help me out. The honor. Yeah, of course it's the honors. But they get all these different little honors and plaques. And you know what they make everybody do? You've been there. you got to stand there and watch these guys get that award. Right? Valedictorian and, you know, and honor society and all these different things. They get different honors. And you're like, oh, I should have studied more. Oh, that's what it's going to be. There will be all of the believers, and, and there will be a group of believers that will be honored because they followed him and they served him. It's not all equal, Christian, and it won't be all equal in this kingdom. So we're going to do two quick prayers, and then we're going to close. Let's say this. Jesus, I want to be a follower and not just a believer. Holy Spirit, I give you permission to enter in rulership of my life. Show me where I can go. Show me the areas that inhibit me. I don't want anything to be between you and I. I want to serve. I want to follow. I want to be all that you have created me to be. As I walk and follow you, you will reveal more and more of my purpose and destiny. And this is what I desire. I don't want to be common when you have called me to be exceptional. I don't want to be average 
when you've called me to the level of excellence. This is my statement of record before the court of heaven. And I renounce all statements to the contrary. If you don't know Jesus and you've never given your life to Jesus and you, know, you say, I'm not sure I've ever done this, you've never given your life to Christ, today's your day. The Bible says we have a sin problem. We're separated. We're outside of his kingdom. This is what Jesus is saying. You're in this world. You're in darkness. He's asking you to come to him. Come out of that. He gives you an open invitation. You say, how do I do it? The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he has risen from the dead, you'll be saved. It's not with the mind we convert. It's with the heart. You can be an intellectual believer, but you're not saved. This belief comes from the heart. Salvation, transformation comes from the heart. Nobody can open your heart but you. Jesus says in Revelation, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll open, I'll come in. But he's not busting the door down. You've got to open the door to him. You don't have to understand it in order to believe it. So we're going to say a prayer. Elevate's going to pray. We're going to pray with you. And, if, and we want everyone here in the room, if you've never given your life to Jesus, today is your day. Let's just pray this out. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior and I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. So I'll open my heart to you, Jesus. And I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me. And I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you. And all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God loves you. Okay. And he's got a terrible infection in his body, and he's not doing very well. He's bleeding. Can you get a mic? And coughing Can you just pray for him? You want me to pray for him right now? Okay. We, uh, so Tom, right? So Tom Paraiso, they just they took him to ICU in in Canada. He's one of our elders. And so we want to pray for Tom. You guys, can you pray with me with Tom? Right. Yeah, they have internal bleeding. They don't know where it's coming from. Yeah, he's got an infection. They have internal bleeding, and they can't find any bleeding. And he's he's not he's not conscious. Okay, right. Okay, all right. Just give me a second here. Yeah, just stand. Yeah, my love, I'm good. Can we stand? <laughs> Thank you. Father, in the name of Jesus. Lord, we present Tom to you. We release healing into that body right now. We command the bleeding to stop in Jesus' name. All of the blood loss, wherever that blood, wherever he's bleeding from, Father, we ask that the doctors would be able to find that and stop it now. It would be revealed, Lord, and that the internal bleeding would stop in Jesus' name. Stop the bleeding. We release it. Lord, we command the infection to lift off of his body. Now, we command the fever to go. Now, in the name of Jesus, we release life. We release healing. Lord, give them wisdom. Give them, show them where this is going, where this is happening from. Show them, Lord. Let them understand. Enter the room, Jesus. Enter the room. Dr. Jesus, enter the room. Release wisdom and understanding and revelation as to the root cause of the problem. Reveal it, Lord. 
it, let it be rectified. Let it be corrected. Let the bleeding stop in Jesus' name. Strength to his body in the name of Jesus. Life in the name of Jesus. The blood bleeding to stop. The strength to return, Lord. The infection to leave. And strength, Lord, into his body now in the name of Jesus. Strength into all of his organs, Lord, to function as they should. We speak life and virtue. His heart, his lungs, his liver, Lord, his kidneys, every di his digestive system, all of the filtering organs, Lord, we command them to come to life in Jesus' name. We command the affliction to lift off of him. We command the spirit of death to leave the room in the name of Jesus. Spirit of death to leave the room and you'll leave tom behind leave the room leave the room holy spirit walk in the door we release life in jesus name no hopelessness no despair life in the name of jesus resurrection power in the name of jesus healing into his body lord i just keep seeing this blood i just bother in the name of jesus wherever it is lord they could find it let them find it. They haven't been able to find it for weeks. Let them find it, Lord. Let them find it. Let them find where the leak is going, where the blood is being lost from. And Lord, we just thank you for that. Heal his body. Strength to his body. Yes, Lord, restoration in life and the infection to lift and to go right now. Encouragement to his family, but life into Tom, Lord. Show up in the room. Have a, have a spiritual conversation with Tom and say, Tom, let's go. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. We release you and we give you the glory and we give you the honor, Lord. We expect the good report. We expect the good report in the name of Jesus. Ministering angels into that room now in Jesus' name. The resources of heaven descend upon that circumstance now in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. We give you glory, and we give you thanks, and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you guys commit to praying? My wife is asking. Would you commit to praying for Tom this week? Yeah? So just intercede for him. Say it with him. We're not victims. We're victors. We pray in faith and not in fear. Right? Come on. All right. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week. Uh, prayer team's available. Awesome. Thank you.